2: And welcome back to another episode of the Astros Future podcast presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm your host, Jimmy Price, also known as Astros Future, and you can find my work at AstrosFuture.com and find me on Twitter at Astros Future. Today on the Astros Future podcast, we'll look at some of the prospects in the system and how they're performing. But first, we are joined by Jason Bell, the Astros Fundamentals Coordinator. How are you doing, Jason?
1: Good. Very good. Thank you for having me. Of course. So
2: first question I want to ask is, how did you end up in the Astros organization? I read a little bit of your your background, but how did you end up with Houston?
1: So, um, you know, when I finished playing in college, uh, I got my master's degree and then uh, I interned for Baseball Info Solutions, which at the time was like a leading, um, you know, company in in data and analytics. And so a lot of the organizations would would pay them for the the numbers and research that they were doing. before people had as um depth of, of their own departments in that. So uh, interned there. And then, you know, I realized uh, I, I enjoyed that experience, but I wanted to be more on field still. So I went and coached in college. I coached at three different schools. And then, um, you know, while I was finishing that internship, which was part, partly for my uh, master's degree, mm-hmm. I had to like submit like a final paper and such. So I actually submitted my final paper on why I thought the Houston Astros were going to win the world series in the, in the, in the near future, because you know, I was looking at a lot of things they were doing and people weren't paying attention because they weren't winning uh, major league games yet, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I knew it was coming. And and so I kind of wrote my final paper on that. Um, and then, you know, years later sent it in and gained a little bit of traction. I think that way, at least on some of the creativity of, of mm-hmm. how my, my mind works with some things and, Um, I think that that was just a little bit uh, of a way to get get some interest and and get somebody on the phone, and um, and here we are.
2: So, first season, I think your first season with the Astros was 2017, right? Correct. Yes. So, your first season with the Astros, they do end up winning the World Series. How was that experience for you? And were you able to attend any of the World Series games?
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, it was awesome. Um, I I actually was at um, three of the World Series games at Minute Maid and. I was at the infamous, you know, thirteen to twelve game five, which to me has been the the best sporting game I've ever been to, and sure. um, it was it was awesome. I was like kind of pacing around the stadium. It was it was it was a pretty pretty cool experience overall to be you know a, a small piece in such a, a a great organization.
2: First year, I believe you coached with the River Bandits, and the second year mm-hmm. you were the the Tri City manager. And yes, that was your one season as a manager, but you ended up winning the New York Pin League, right? Yes. So uh, do you miss that part of the game, just being a manager on the field and and managing a team like that?
1: You know, at times I do, like I really love the strategy within the game and the smaller details. Um, But in my current role, I I do get to uh, manage a little bit at each of the levels. So uh, usually throughout the season, each manager gets like four days off. So um, I'll, I'll go across the levels and, and fill in for those guys. So I get a little bit of a taste of it. Um, I, I really did enjoy managing. I would say the, the area of my job that I enjoy probably a little bit more now is just the, <clears throat> the ability to impact the entire organization, yeah. um, instead of just like one affiliate. Um, so I, I, w- I would say that there's a little bit of a trade-off there because I did, you know, enjoy managing so much, but I do, I do get the to impact the, the whole spectrum now, which, which I enjoy. So I know
2: we, we talked about it a little bit, but for, for those that don't know what exactly is like your duties as a fundamentals
1: coordinator? So in our situation, most teams called their uh, fundamentals coordinator, a field coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of organizations have, you know, an infield coordinator, an outfield coordinator, base running uh, field coordinator. And that, you know, in our situation, uh, my job kind of combines all of those areas. And I also, you know, run spring training. Um, I onboard the players when they uh get traded or, or, or uh, signed, drafted. Um, I, I kind of travel to all of the different affiliates um, and oversee the, the DRs as well and communicate with the staff, um, you know, pretty regularly. Uh, but I, my main my main areas of uh you know people I oversee are the managers and development coaches. Um, and then, you know, in our situation, you know, obviously we have Pete Putilla who's the assistant general manager, and mm-hmm. he's also the, um, you know, farm director. So given that his, his, his days are pretty swamped, uh, I, I try to try to help out any way I can with, with some of, um, the things that he can't, can't quite get to as well.
2: So I'm guessing you spend a lot of time probably on the road as well, right? Like going up to all the, uh, all the affiliates and stuff.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I just went to each of them. So I was gone for about, um, I guess I must have been three, four weeks. Okay. Um, and then um, I, I, I kind of always am, am traveling around and especially this year, given that we didn't have a season last year, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's extra important just to kind of see where the guys are at, because obviously a lot of things can change over, over 20 months away from the game. And, um, you know, unfortunately for, for the players, you know, they're, they're getting older. You know, and so right. it's extra important to keep trying to push and, and get these guys better as, as quick as possible. So um, just just, uh, you know, going around can can really help me gain a feel for, for where the guys are at.
2: So I was reading 2019 was your first year as the fundamentals coordinator for the Astros. And then obviously last year there was no minor league season. So how how did your role change last year for the, the 2020 non minor league season?
1: So last year was, was kind of crazy because all the normal responsibilities that I would have had in, in 2019 were just completely different in 2020 in a way of like, all right, from afar, what are ways that we feel like we can still impact the players? You know? And then from afar, what are ways we can impact the coaches? So obviously, you know, most organizations in, in, um, and really any industry was you know, doing a bunch of Zoom calls and, and all those things. And so for us, it was like, all right, how can we do that and make it, make it more meaningful for each area, you know, maybe more than another. So um, it took a lot of creativity and it was actually a, a pretty hectic time as far as, um, you know, some of the things that we were, we were trying to, to get going. And it was, it was a good experience on how to kind of uh, adapt and, and such on the fly like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a, a not a great experience overall for the, for the course of the world, but Um, in the terms of that you know it it like really helps problem solving skills and creativity Um, and then uh, when things picked back up you know I helped run the um, summer camp build up of the major league and minor league side and then um, I was one of the one of the people running the uh, alternate site down in Corpus and then when that ended I came back to Florida and then ran the the four-week instructs that we had so um and it ended up being some some really good development that happened you know a lot of it was from afar at, at first but um i think as it got going we you know we got a lot of really good things got like done so it was good yeah i've
2: talked to a, a couple of prospects and asked them kind of how that you know how that how that helped them develop you know and being the alternate site and instead of playing you know going through a season where you're playing maybe 120 140 minor league games just more working on things and, and working with the coaches more. And um, a couple of them said that it it felt like it might've maybe been more beneficial than an actual season because they were able to focus on things to work on. And in Mm -hmm. in that time, did you see, I mean, in your eyes, do you think it was, it was still beneficial for the prospects? I mean, I know they missed the year of gameplay and and that kind of development, but in terms of getting that more one-on-one direct coaching rush versus, you know, the games, do you think it was beneficial in that way?
1: So I think it kind of depends on each person individually. Um, you know, for example, some, some players were in situations locally where they had good facilities to train at and such. And, and some, some people, um, you know, weren't even able to like go outside or weren't even allowed to, uh, get to a gym. And so, uh, unfortunately unfor- for, for those guys, they didn't have quite the advantage as, you know, maybe, maybe others did. And, that was maybe dependent all across what, what each state was doing with COVID, each country. And um, so I think a lot of guys got a ton of benefits out of it, like, like you're saying. And then there's quite a few guys that unfortunately weren't even like able to with, with their situations. So um, I, I could see where, you know, quite a few guys made some good progress, especially like strength-wise because um, there was so much time to get stronger and, mm-hmm. and not have to prepare to play in a game. Um, And, you know, I I felt like, you know, certain things we could do from a skill oriented standpoint, we could kind of dive into more without having to worry about each guy also having to compete in a game that night. So there was definitely a lot of improvements, but I think for a lot of guys, they were in such a tough environment It you know, it, it didn't didn't help them quite as much as others. So
2: your first year as a fundamentals quarter was 2019. And so this is technically your third year, but last year, you know, this, the season was different, but in those three years, has there been like one player that's kind of stood out that you've seen make a, a lot of strides, I guess, just from, from the time that, you know, you started, you took over this position and to where they're at now.
1: Um, you know, I feel like there's been a, a lot of, a lot of guys that, you know, our coaches have been been able to work with that have gotten a lot better Um I mean the the first two that kind of come to mind, especially defensively, is um, I remember even just five years ago when when we drafted Jake Myers and he was a obviously a good outfield defender um, mm-hmm. at that point. But I think he's taken it to an entirely new level where you know he's put himself into the elite category and and he's proving it. And it's it's one of those things too where you know every single play every single pitch, you know, people talk about being focused and such, but if you just went to, um, you know, a Sugarland Skeeters game and literally only just stared at him the entire time, you would really feel like he's expecting the ball each and every time. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, he's obviously was very good when we drafted him. And I think he's just put himself into this, this new category that, that I've uh, been very impressed with from him. And, you know, another guy that Kind of pops up as I'm as I'm speaking about that too would would be uh, Brian De La Cruz. I think he's been one of our most improved you know outfield defenders, and um, you know obviously he's he's doing really really well offensively too. But um, it's been been quite quite awesome just to see the the growth that that those guys can have in you know such such short periods of time.
2: Yeah, I actually went to Sugarland uh, last night, and I, I did talk with Jake Myers before the game, and he mentioned. I asked him about how how you know coming up as a pitcher and maybe how that has influenced mm-hmm. his, uh, his defense and stuff. And he mentioned that, that the focus, and then being able to, you know, really kind of know how our, a pitcher is attacking a, a batter and stuff. And then the way the ball comes off the bat, things like that has really helped them defensively. So that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that. So, yes. Yeah, someone sure. who, who uh, knows the prospects, our, our prospects, obviously, obviously really well. And I don't know, I'm sure the organization doesn't really keep up with like a, a top 100 list and how many guys are on there. But is there any guys just maybe from social media even that you think are just kind of maybe being under, you know, underappreciated or overlooked right now? I know you mentioned Brian De La Cruz and Jake Myers. but Is there anyone that you think maybe just being overlooked maybe by by fans on Twitter or whatever?
1: You know, I think we have quite a few guys, actually. You know, I, I don't like you said, I don't pay too close of attention to you know rankings and and all those different things, but I think that you know we have quite a few guys that that maybe don't get the love they deserve. And when you say when when you bring it up, I think the first two guys that kind of come to mind, um, you know, especially recently, would be Matt Barefoot and Joe Perez. And mm-hmm. I think now they're they're starting to show everybody, you know, the things that we already knew that that they could do. Um, so so far this year, they've they've started out started out great, and it's it's going to be awesome to see you know where they go from here. But I. I would say those are maybe some guys that don't, don't get the, the love that they, that they deserve based on, you know, some of the things that they've been, they've been doing this season. You know, obviously we have a lot of guys doing some some good things that maybe get a little bit more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel like you you don't hear as much about those guys when um, they've, they've really started to to prove who they are.
2: Yeah. No, he's he, Perez has had a, a good start to the season. I know he's in high a at 21 years old, which is already a, a good accomplishment there and he's holding his own and, Same thing with barefoot. It it kind of feels like the season of the comeback. I mean, you know, guys missed 2020, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, you got Perez who struggled with some injuries early and then now he's back healthy. Alex McKenna was struggling a little bit early with some injuries and kind of lost some of that power. And now all of a sudden, I think he's, I think he might be leading the Astros minor league system in homers uh, this year. I think he's got Mm -hmm. nine so far. So yeah, it seems like there's a lot of guys that, you know, maybe missed some time, due to injuries, a 2020 season, got healthy. And now they're back and kind of, kind of showing it because you know Corey lee former first round pick just a couple years ago and i think he's hitting like 330 so far this year and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like he gets a lot of publicity either even though he right even being a former first round pick so yeah i love watching yep. the guys especially like joe perez a guy who people did forget about him he's a second round pick you know as a as a third mm-hmm. baseman that's a that's a that, that obviously the astros thought really highly of him when they took him so yeah. You mentioned to me at one point um integrating players into the system, you know, either via international signings or the draft as being part of part of your responsibility. So how hectic does your job get when the draft rolls around and the Astros are, you know, drafting 40 players and, and sign in 35 plus of those guys? How what's what's your job like during that time frame?
1: Yeah, it it does does get hectic, but it's probably the the thing that I enjoy the most. Um, you know, there's also you know, internationally, like the the J2 signing, which July 2nd is is usually around that time too. So there's just a lot of new 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 faces in the organization and, and trying to get them integrated and comfortable, I think is a, a big challenge, but maybe something I enjoy the most. Um, and the way that I look at it is, you know, it's it's kind of like you're adding a bunch of family members all at the same time. And I know that that's maybe cliche to say, but you know, for me, especially like I'm a, I'm a young single guy. Like I look at these guys, like my family beyond just like players that, that I coach. And so yeah. it's, um, it's, it's awesome to kind of meet them on their first day and, and see, you know, kind of the, the way that they, they act at the very beginning because you know, they're, they're probably nervous and they don't know what to expect and, and all that. So um, it, it's very hectic. Um, and, you know, in previous years, you'd have some guys that would, you know, go to the GCL. Some guys would go to tri Cities. Some guys would go to quad cities. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it might be a little bit easier, you know, without having short season because you can kind of group guys in together. But um, what people probably don't realize in that process is it's not like every single player arrives on the same day. So there's just so many different factors of when people arrive based on when their contracts go through and are approved and when they can play. And so, um, you're you're kind of having similar conversations a bunch of different times, mm. um, which is probably better because it's more personable. It's more one on one a lot of times. Uh, but, you know, some days you'll have a crop of five guys arriving at the same time. Sometimes you'll just have one guy. Um, sometimes it'll be like, you know, two, three weeks later and all of a sudden somebody somebody arrives. So it is um, it is a, a very crazy time, but probably uh, my, my, my most favorite time.
2: So I like looking back on the drafts and kind of seeing how the, you know, how the team has reformed in terms of getting major leaguers. And just the other day, I was looking back at the 2017 drafts. That was the year that you started with the Astros, but they, mm-hmm. you know, they had already and not necessarily debuting with the Astros, but just made, made their major league debut, but Bukowskis, Corin Martin, Tyler Ivey, Peter Solomon, Brandon Bielak, Chaz McCormick, Josh Rojas over with the, the Diamondbacks. And then there's guys like uh, you mentioned, Joe Perez, Matajevic, uh Nathan Perry, Corey Jolts, mm-hmm. Jake Meyer. I mean, it feels like that draft. I'm looking at that draft and saying, you know, a lot of guys, they'll see guys drafted outside of the, maybe the top 10 rounds and they kind of brush them off and don't think much of them. But it seems like the Astros have done really well in, in finding uh, finding value in these late-round picks.
1: For sure. And and even if you looked at the the 2016 draft, too, it's been been pretty impressive to see the amount of guys that, that we have at that level, too. And it, it's one of those things where, you know, we can look at how – how good our coaches have done in such in the player development realm, but it really also comes back to how good we've been at, at scouting and evaluating talent. And it's, that's, that's, you know, from my experience in college as a, as a recruiting coordinator, that's probably one of the hardest things that doesn't get enough credit because you never exactly hear about the scouts that did a great job and, and all that. But, you know, it really comes back to the numerous years where we've had like a, a large crop of players that have been very successful and it, it all starts with that aspect. You know, and and so like like you're saying, it's been been pretty impressive the the 2017 class so far and in 2016 as well.
2: Yeah, and uh me and uh, the guy that I'm usually on here with Brian, we we tend to talk about, you know, everyone wants to look at these top prospects or the big pre-agent signings, but one way to build a consistent, you know, good major league team is to to have those late round picks hit. And then you're getting, you know, quality at bats and quality playing time from guys like Miles Straw or Chaz McCormick mm-hmm. or you know, you got mm-hmm. Ralph Garza up now, Josh James, guys that are that you know, we're late round picks didn't sign for a bunch and now you're getting major league time out of them. So it seems like that's the way to really build like a consistent contender is you're, you constantly have a a good flow of talent coming up through the minor league system.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing too, that that's awesome is, you know, people can look at it like, Oh, this was the first round pick. This was the second round pick. This was the third round pick. But at the same time, like if you're in the system, everybody has a chance. Mm -hmm. If you perform, you have a chance. And so, I think that that's what everybody is really being able to see is, you know, some of these later round picks that are making it, it's like, well, whoa, that could, that could be me, you know? And I think that that's um, something that's really good for our young guys to see, because especially when they first come in, they could look around and be like, Oh man, this guy's playing a little bit more, more than I am, but, and it might be discouraging, but you know, if, if that player performs, you know, all of a sudden he's a guy and it doesn't really matter where the the person was drafted. You know, it's just, it's about who's, who's performing and developing in the, in the ways that we, we like.
2: This year, the, the, uh, you know, minor league baseball kind of turned around how they, how they do the series and the games and such. And now they're doing these six game series where we face, you know, the same team, six games in a row, and they got one scheduled day off. What's your thought on that, on that, uh, that kind of series, that kind of um, I guess uh, schedule for the the minor league players.
1: You know, I I actually love it. I love the, the one-off day a week. Um, I think that we'll probably look back in, in future years that, how grueling some of the schedules could be, you know, certain months you, you may have anywhere from 19 to to 23 games in a row, um, where you're, you're traveling like crazy, especially for the double a triple a travel. It's, it's not the easiest thing to do. And I think that, you know, now we're, we're putting our players in a position, um, to, you know, stay healthy and perform to the best of their abilities just by giving them a fair amount of off days, you know, it's, it's difficult especially when we're also trying to develop their skills on the same days that they're playing you know right. like in in college for example you may have a fall where you can work a lot of you know skill oriented things but in our situation you know we're, we're trying to develop their skills all throughout the day and then play the game so people may look at it like oh it's a seven o'clock game like you know they got all day to sleep but you know <laughs> our guys get to the ballpark pretty early and we 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 get after it all all day and um you know I think that you know, the the one-off day a week just I, I really hope that it stays stays for good and um, you know I think the fact that there's six games in a row helps guys adapt to where they are you know like physically if you're riding on a bus all night and then you you get off the bus you play a game and then you have two more games then you you go somewhere else all of a sudden like you're, you know your body is not holding up as well but right. six games allows you, you know, some more of that. And the other thing that I like about the the six games, which, you know, obviously there can get a lot of tension between playing the same team over and over again, but mm-hmm. I think it really helps the players because they start to see some of the same relievers again. I think it really helps them, you know, prepare for the big leagues in the sense of, you know, getting used to, you know, remembering certain guys that they face at the plate remembering right. positioning wise on defense. And they start to to feel tendencies of their players as to where sometimes when you're, you know just playing 3 4 games all of a sudden you know you're on to the next place and the next place and the next place and you you don't really you know digest who you're playing against and right. so i think that that's a a great thing for these these guys to learn
2: i'll i'll read them just because that's something i'll read but I, and obviously i have some bias but i do think that the Astros have done a really good job of maintaining a good level of talent in the system and i think we're seeing it this year i think you mentioned a lot of the guys that might have been you know kind of underranked or overlooked or whatever or, um, or starting to show it now. So um, I just wanted to say, you know, I think you're doing a great job and the Astros are doing a great job, you know, keeping that flow of talent, drafting well, and, uh, you know, keeping the the system really stocked with prospects, despite, you know, maybe not having the number one overall pick or any top picks like that.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it takes the, the entire organization to, to, you know, keep it going like that. I think sometimes it's easy to look at one exact area that's having success and thinking that it's just about that. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, from the top down, you know, it's it's been, uh, been a, a really cool thing to to be a part of.
2: All right, Jason, well, I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy the rest of the season. And uh, we'll, we'll see how the season plays out. But the Astros are, you know, it looks like they're starting to get rolling a little bit.
1: Awesome. Yep. Thank you very much for having me.
2: All right, coming right up, Brian and I will look at some of the top prospects and how they performed last week, and we'll get to that in just a moment. And continuing on here at the Astros Future Podcast, presented by Apollo Media. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and drop us a review or leave us some stars. So we left off on the last segment talking about we'd be looking at the, the minor league system, so we'll jump right into it. The Skeeters, AAA, they're sitting at 20 and 11 right now. The one guy that has been uh, a lot of people have been paying attention to is Jose Siri. I went to the game last night, and he drew a walk. That was the first walk he drew since May 18th, and I think that just kind of goes to show what kind of prospect he is. He is hitting 316. he He's got four walks to like 37 strikeouts on the season, and, and that's just the kind of guy he is. He, he's not going to walk a lot. He's going to strike out a lot. He does have some power. Uh, but ultimately those peripheral numbers that were looking a little, a little concerning have kind of started to show themselves and his numbers have started to come back down to life a little bit.
0: Right. it's like whenever we spoke with Jake Kaplan last week, he had mentioned how, you know, fans that are kind of clamoring for him over straw or even over McCormick, you know, it's most likely not going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a free agent in the offseason and every team passed on him. Uh, the Astros picked him up. He's having a great year. Uh, I think the Adoles-Garcia comparisons are ridiculous. I have from the beginning. I know you agreed with that because, you and I kind of texted back and forth about that. But just, you know, unfortunately for Jose Siri, like you just said, it's just coming crashing down to earth. Now, I will say the one thing that I have been saying from the beginning is that I hope his number – I hope he continues to to hit well, play good defense, Mm -hmm. get on base because, you know, ideally it would be nice to use him as a trade piece, you know, for like another arm or as part of a trade. Yeah. Um, I don't think a Jose Siri type of player is going to get us some elite arm of the bullpen, but he can be a piece to the puzzle. Now, I don't know how realistic that is, but that's, I mean, I, I hope for his sake and for the Astros sake that he does continue to play well and just turn this around a little bit, but I just, I've never have seen a future for him here in Houston.
2: Yeah. I, I'm with you. Like you said, if if there there's already feels like there's guys in front of him, you know, if straw who's actually been hit a lot better is in front of him. And then you got McCormick and maybe Ronnie Dawson and, I'm not going to rule out the opportunity that may be something down the line, but right now you mentioned it, the Astros got him for, for nothing. He, they signed him as a minor league free agent. Everyone had an opportunity to him. If you can take that that he has success and you can use him in any kind of trade, it doesn't matter if it's a, a trade to pick up, you know, some, some <laughs> arm that the Astros value down in double A or single A or something like that, that, that you're getting value out of signing a minor league free agent. So uh, you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I want him to keep hitting, keep crushing. And if he, forces his way onto the Astros, you know, roster great. If the Astros end up trading him and getting more value out of him, then that'll work too. But, you know, you talk about trading for an arm and the main reason we obviously talk about that is the Astros bullpen struggles that they've had. But one guy down in AAA right now that um, I think we kind of need to look at is Riley Farrell. He was drafted, you know, high draft pick a few years ago out of a uh, actually a little while back out of TCU closer there, you know, he was one of the guys a lot of people thought, Right after falling the draft, he would be, you know, making his major league debut not much longer and um, struggle with some injuries. But this year in A, he's pitched 10 in the third innings. He's only given up three hits, no runs. He struck out 17. On the downside, he's walked seven. And I know that's something me and you have talked about is the walks are an issue. Um, like last night, I watched the game. He he, he walked the first batter and then ended up striking out the side. So he's got the talent. He uh, obviously needs to work on the command. But maybe that's a guy the Astros look at, you know, potentially pulling up to, uh, to, to bring him up and, and help the Astros bullpen.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, I remember whenever he was drafted, a lot of us thought that he was going to be closing for us within a year, maybe two years at the most. Mm -hmm. You know, other things happen. Uh, Injuries happen. It happens to the best of us, you know. But, you know, with Riley Farrell, he's got some good numbers going right now. You did mention the seven walks um, in just over 10 innings. That could be a concern, especially since right now our bullpen is having some difficulty with throwing strikes and getting guys out. Mm-hmm. So that could be a thing that before we see Riley Farrell at the big league level, they may want the triple a uh, coaching staff to kind of, you know, refine his, you know, his pitching a little bit better down there. That way we know that he's going to throw strikes when he comes up here, because honestly, man, I don't know that we need anybody else up here at the big league level that is going to have trouble finding the strike zone.
2: Yeah, for sure. There, that's obviously been an issue that the Astros have had so far and, Um, if they're going to bring anybody up, you know, it needs to be somebody who can probably throw strikes, get guys out and and not necessarily put free base, you know, free people on the base, which we've seen um, happen. Unfortunately, quite often where, you know, guys are walking guys with the bases loaded or hit by pitch or things like that. Another arm down in AAA that I think people want to know about is Francis Martez. Who's missed a lot of time with the injuries, the suspensions and all that. Well, he's back. He's pitching two games and he's gone an inning in a third. He's given up two hits, four runs, four walks, hasn't struck out anybody. So, Kaplan mentioned after his first outing, he was like 94, 95 at the fastball, which is nice to see. But overall, the numbers are not looking good. You know, the four walks hasn't struck out anybody. I think his last inning, he went one inning, but he threw like 30-something pitches. And, uh, I, you know, it's the first time he's pitched in a long, in a, in a long time. But uh, he's a guy right now that you're not expecting anything from. But if you get anything from from anything from him, great. But at this point, not really a guy that I think you're expecting
0: anything from. Yeah, unfortunately, at this point, it's like you were talking earlier whenever we were talking about Jose Siri and, you know, you signed him. So if you get anything out of him, great, because it's basically a bonus. It's kind of the same way with Francis Martes, which is kind of sad because when mm-hmm. we did that deal, that Jared Kozar deal with Miami, Martez was one of the guys that a lot of us were really excited about. You know, he did help us in our World Series year. He won the, he won a ring just like everybody else that year. But since then, I mean, he's basically been non-existent on the Astros since then due to a plethora of reasons. But, you know, I mean, the one thing I would fall back on is that whenever his suspension was over, they could have immediately removed him from the 40 man and basically released him outright. They didn't do that. They put him in triple a, he's been pitching. He hasn't been pitching well at all, but you know, man, they may have some, uh, they may have high hopes for him still or want to see if he can rediscover anything. And at this point, I mean, it's it's just kind of a flyer. Let's see what you got. Let's see what he does. And he has big league experience. He pitched out of the bullpen and in the rotation. So, you know, um, I'm actually okay with them being a little patient on this one. Let's just see what he's got. And at the end of the day, we'll be able to tell.
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think at, at this point, you know, like you said, the, the, don't have any expectations for him, but let him, leave him down there, let him pitch in the bullpen and uh, maybe, maybe he'll find his stuff and he'll start, you know, getting back to what he was doing. Cause you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Cause man, he was a, one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball at the time. He was young, strong build, had the stuff. Um, and it just, it just unfortunately all, all fell off. Mm-hmm. So We'll jump down to double A. The hooks are sitting at 16 and 18. A couple of times we've talked, we really noted how poor the offense is performing, but it's been on the upswing recently. So one of the main guys has been Pedro Leon. He's got his OPS up to 775, which is solid, not for maybe what some people would expect to be the top prospect. But if you actually look at the last 10 games in June, he's hitting 345 with 10 walks to six strikeouts, which is obviously a, a really, really encouraging sign after how the first, Month of the season went where he was striking out 35, 40% or 40% of the time. And now he's down to six strikeouts in 10 games. He got three homers hitting 345. So he's just having a lot better at bats. He homered last night uh in that at bat. He went down 0 and 2, worked the count to 3 2, fouled off two pitches. And then on the eighth pitch of that bat, ended up hitting a home run. So you can kind of see that he's getting a lot more comfortable taking better at bats, drawing walks, and starting to limit the strikeouts.
0: Yeah, man, for sure. And, you know, like you were saying, uh, just in these 10 games that he's played in June, 10 walks to only six strikeouts. Uh, I know he's got five bombs and he's hitting almost 350, but those walks and the few strikeouts are what's more impressive to me than the bombs because it's showing that he's um, regaining that strike zone discipline that he was known for. He's being coached up really well down there. They're they're noticing some mistakes. They're working through it. He's making adjustments. That's good, man. That's showing that he's a coachable player and that he's going to listen. I mean, if he was still doing the same things that he had been doing at the start of the season, he'd still be striking out at a huge clip.
2: Right. And, w- and we talked about, it. you know, it's, it's been a while since he's played in organized yeah. baseball. And, um, you know, and then obviously with with what happened with COVID and all that, and he's finally able to get on the field now and uh, struggled early on. But it looks like he's finally starting to, to find a swing a little bit. So that's good moving forward for him. But there's a couple other guys who have been killing the ball down in double A. And one is J.J. Matajevic. He was a second round pick back in 2017 by the Astros out of Arizona. And he was drafted for his bat. And he's had a little bit of success in the minors, and then this year his bat's are really starting to show. So overall, he's hitting 284, but he's got a 950 OPS, got nine homers, and he's really been on fire uh, recently. Over the last over the last uh, fifteen games, he's got seven home runs. He's walking at like a fifteen percent rate right now, so really good to see from him. He's going to be probably a first base left field kind of guy, but another bat down in Double A that's really turned it on. He's twenty five years old and uh, a guy who you know, we've talked about before, but, you know, you always need bats and there's another guy right down, you know, right there in AAA who's kind of starting to show it.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And those first base left field, those types of power bats, those can be helpful, man, especially for teams that, um, you know, they just want to add an extra bat on the bench or maybe see if you're capable of, of you know, being a starter at the next level. Uh, I'm not saying that it won't be here, that it will, or won't be here in Houston, but, mm-hmm. you know, just the fact that he was drafted high, you know, he, he's got a reputation probably around baseball. Uh, they know his name. So, you know, that could be a good thing for, for JJ because, you know, if he, if it doesn't work out here in Houston, or if, if there's not a spot for him in Houston, just like we were talking about earlier with Jose Siri, you know, he could be used in a trade um, where he can go somewhere else. I mean, like look at the trade for Granke with Arizona. We put right. Seth Beer in that trade and he's basically a first base left field DH type. Yep. So it could be the same thing here with JJ.
2: So another guy down there in, in Corpus right now, that has been pretty much doing the same thing. Norel Gonzalez signed out of Cuba. Wasn't as well-known as Pedro Leon, kind of under the radar, but had really good numbers over in Cuba, more walks and strikeouts. I think he hit like 340 the last season he played there. Struggled a little bit this season early on, but now he's up to 296, got a 996 OPS, but in June, he's hitting 421, five doubles, three homers, and I think a a similar walk and strikeout ratio, so – Really good to see him, uh, you know, a guy that I don't think coming into the season, a lot of people really expected a lot from. And he's 26 years old. We've seen the Astros have success with Cuban players, with Guriel and Alvarez, and there's been plenty of others. And maybe he's another guy that uh, will end up forcing his way up to triple-A and could be the next, you know, great Cuban star for the Astros.
0: Yeah, you know, I think we read recently or we, we had heard recently where there's no team in baseball that has a bigger Cuban presence than the Houston Astros. And that's, you know – I I don't want to relate it all to Yuli, but he's basically a legend down there. He's a living legend in Cuba. So it it doesn't hurt having him on the team. And, you know, uh, Gonzalez is playing really well. Like you said, he's already destroying it at AA. He's 26. It won't be very long until he's up at AAA.
2: Yeah, for sure. So another pitcher um, down in AA that is actually – he started the season really rocky, but it was an aggressive start for him. Hunter Brown, fifth-round pick in 2019. He's just 22 he started there. He started out a little rough, but the last two starts, he struck out 16 and just uh, eight and two thirds innings, only allowed four hits. So he's got really good stuff. Struggled with his command a little bit, but he he started to refine that, and and you're starting to see you know starting to see the success and see the reason he was a fifth round pick and why he is you know a highly touted prospect.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And he's a guy that we've hit on. I think I mean maybe not every single show that we've done, but almost every single show that we've done. So he's a guy that I know you're familiar with and I'm becoming pretty familiar with because of you. Um, But, yeah, man, I mean, you can never have enough pitching. Good pitching stops good hitting. It's always been that way. So um, just, I mean, yeah, man, I mean, I'm all in favor of getting more arms in the system that are able to contribute, especially looking at the bullpen that we have right now. You can see how just one area of a team could, you know, be detrimental to the overall team success. for sure.
2: So down in high A, the, the Asheville Tourists, they're sitting at 14 and 19, but they do have some guys that are, are really crushing the ball. Alex McKenna, he's got an OPS of about 1,000. I think he's leading the Astros minor league system in homers with nine. Fourth round pick uh, a couple of years ago. And, yeah, he's really starting to show why he was drafted so high. And then you got Joe Perez, a guy we talked about a bunch. He's, he's played in 21 games between low A and high A. He's got five homers a 931 OPS and he's just 21 years old so you know we we talked we've talked before about how aggressive are the Astros going to be with prospects um, you know given that we do have a new GM compared to what we had in 19 and just how everything was going to go and I think we've already seen it I think he only played a handful of games 10 or 12 games down in low A and the Astros went ahead promoted him so nice aggressive promotion and so far he's handled it well.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, you know, that's one thing that you and I have talked about with, um, you know, how aggressive the new front office, well, I say new, they've been here for over a year now, but uh, how they're going to be with promoting these guys. And we've already seen Joe Perez promoted to high A. So well, well, what do you think? Do you think that he's going to stick in high A the entire year? Or do you think that there'll come a time over the summer where if he continues to bash and, you know, play really well at high A, do you think that they'll promote him to double A? Or do you think we're going to just see him spend a full season with uh, high A?
2: Yeah, I think if he continues hitting the ball like he has been and and you know he's not striking out a ton, he, he he's definitely holding his own at high. If he continues to do that for another 50, 60 games, I don't see why they wouldn't, you know, go ahead and challenge him again, send him up to double A and let him end the season there. Like, you know, we talked about he was drafted back in 2017 and he struggled with some injuries. And if it wasn't for some of those injuries, maybe he would have been in double A by now. So I definitely think that if he continues at this pace, he will be he will be in double A um at some point this year.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, you know, we lost the entire minor league system or season last year. Mm -hmm. So one thing that has been a constant uh, point of discussion with you and I is that, you know, will we see not just with the Astros, but around baseball, see these front offices and these GMs move guys a little bit quicker that they think would have been at a certain level at this point had COVID not happened last year, you know, and Joe Perez could be one of those guys. He could be like the guy for us because he was drafted high. We had high hopes for him. We still do. Um, and I'm sure that this organ- this um front office does as well, but I mean, the injuries I mean, that's just something that happens, so yep. let's just see what happens with him, too.
2: Yeah, another guy that that spent a little bit of time in low A and then got promoted, Matthew Barefoot, and he's got uh, an OPS of almost a thousand this year, eight homers, 12 stolen bases, and and he sounded it well. The extras have been aggressive with him, but he's 23 years old, Alex McKinnis, 23. I don't see why either one of those guys may not finish the season in double A too. So yeah, nice, nice, uh, nice start for some of those prospects, but another guy who I feel like there isn't as much uh, talk about them maybe as there should be, but Corey Lee, former first round pick in 2019, you pull up his numbers, he's hitting 330 this year. You know, he's only got the three homers, but he's hitting for average and everything that I've read, he's a solid defender behind the plate. And if you can be a good defensive catcher, and you can hit for average like that. You don't need a like you know. You don't need to be a guy who's hitting a lot of home runs. He can be a guy who just hits for average and and gets on base and maybe hits you know ten to fifteen home runs. And if that's what Corey Lee is, but he's good defensively, then we'll be good with it. But to see a former first round pick hitting three thirty, you know, starting out the season, I definitely think it's not going to be long before he's in Double A, really getting tested. And and you know, but that's a, a really good sign for a former first round pick.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I know at one point, um, you know, whenever you and I were talking about it, you had mentioned that, you know, he was playing a little bit of first base, uh, probably just to like break up that monotony of just playing catcher mm-hmm. every day. But uh, how often do you know if he's been playing behind the plate more often than not? Or what are we looking at there?
2: So I think he's, he's caught like 20 games out of maybe 28 or 30 or something like that so far. So I think the Astros are just more, like I said, just kind of keeping the, uh, you know, keeping the, the, the innings off of him I guess behind the plate and you know allowing other guys to also get some opportunities behind the plate to kind of gauge their skills as well so with it being you know middle of June right now if he continues this kind of this kind of hitting I really don't see a reason why he might not be in double a by July and that would be a that'd be a really you know fun promotion to see you know first round pick getting promoted to double a and like I said I mean the dude's hitting 330 and it feels like it's been a quiet 330. There hasn't been a lot of uh, lot of talk about him, but he's coming, you know, and if he if he keeps this up, it's going to be nice to finally have, you know, a good catching prospect in the system.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, see, that's – you know, whenever we talked with Jim Callis, Jim Callis had mentioned that whenever we drafted him, some people thought it was a bit of an overdraft because they didn't know about his bat or if he would stick behind the plate. And so far, his bat's looking really well, looking really good, and he's, he's stuck behind the plate. And like you said, everything that we've uh, read or, or, you know, seen from him – um, his defense behind the plate has been very good. So yeah, absolutely, man. I know you take an annual trip to Corpus. So maybe he'll be in Corpus by the time you go over there, because that would absolutely be a, a fun watch for you.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and that, I mean, you know, he's a guy, like I said, you want, sure. Everyone wants to have, you know, the Mike Piazzas that like to hit 30 or 40 home runs behind the plate. But if he's a guy who can provide good defense and hit for average like this, and we've seen guys be very successful and I don't want to compare him to, to this guy. Cause they're completely different in terms of prospects and, you know how they how they hit and, and everything, but Joe Maurer, we've seen a guy who's successful behind the plate really good defensively and hit for average, he didn't hit for a ton of power in the guy and it went an MVP, you know. So if Corey Lee can be good behind the plate defensively and hit for average, uh, I think we're gonna be in a really good spot. And you know, if you looked on the Astros uh, roster right now, what's the one position that for sure is up for the gra- up for grabs for the future? And it, it's catcher. And if Corey Lee yep. can take that spot and run with it. That would be that would be really nice to see because it feels like it's been a long time since we've had a, a good young catcher.
0: Oh, absolutely! And I remember whenever we drafted him, you um, know, a lot of people said it was an overdraft, but I was just happy that we were getting a catcher that at least, um, you know, ha- had some had some type of viability as a yeah. future uh, big leaguer. You know,
2: for sure. So down in down in Loway, the Woodpeckers they're fourteen and twenty. Um, you know they've, they've suffered some promotions, Joe Perez, uh, Matthew Barefoot. There's been some other guys that have gotten promoted up to, to high A, so they're kind of reeling from that. But they have a guy, 19 year old Johander uh, Martinez, down there who uh is probably pretty unknown, but you know, he's got the Astros assigned him to, to full season baseball at 19 years old, and right now he's got nine walks to eight strikeouts, and that's his calling card on base percentage. I think he's like got like a 450 on base percentage, so good to see that from him. Got Shea Whitcomb, who's a, a draft pick last year, he's, he's got five homers hitting 284, and then a reliever down there, Jonathan Sprinkle. He's struck out 21 in nine and two-thirds innings. Unfortunately, he has walked nine, uh, but he has a really high swing and strike rate, so if he can get his command you know, under control, you're looking at another potential high-leverage reliever that the Astros are developing because he's he's getting the swing and, uh, swing and misses and he's striking guys out, and he's doing it at an extremely high rate.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's fun looking at, single, at low A to see these guys that, you know, you may not know, you may not recognize them by name. And some of them you'll recognize just because of the draft, but the mm-hmm. ones you don't recognize are the ones that um, tend to start, you know, you, you don't know them for a reason, but then you start to know their name for a reason also. And, right. you know, like we've talked about with the trickle down effect of somebody getting promoted, if Corey Lee gets promoted to double a, well that's going to open up a spot at a uh, high A for one of these low A guys. So right. it's just fun watching that trickle down effect, man, especially in our system. That Just 10 years ago, man, I mean, I know 10 years is a long time, but it's also not that long ago. But 10 years ago, we had the worst farm system in baseball. We had J.D. Martinez, one of Roger Clemens' sons, and then nobody else. And it it was just like, it was so barren, man. And now just looking at these kinds of guys that are up there, you know, throwing strikes, striking guys out, hitting bombs, playing good defense. It's really fun to see, man.
2: Yeah, the Astros do a really good job of, of you know of finding diamonds in the rough. You know, they're not all the first or second round picks, they're guys either late-round picks, international free agents, whatever. And another guy that we could talk about is as we move into our, our stock up, our stock report for the week, Jaime Melendez. He's a 19-year-old, 5'8", just got promoted to high A, but in 18 and a third innings, he struck out 38. He's only walked five. He got a 0.490 or eight. like, honestly, it's like video game numbers. Like, if you picked up MLB the show and started a, a pitcher and you went in and you were pitching in low A, like those are the kind of numbers you would expect to put up. And he's putting them up in real life as a 19 year old who's only listed at like 5'8, 190. It, it really insane start to the season for him.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Those kinds of numbers right there, that's the kind of thing that really makes you look and it really kind of gets you excited. 38 strikeouts in only five walks in 18 innings. That's insane, dude. I mean, at this point, I know he just got promoted to, to high A. He's only 19. He'll probably stick there, I want to say, unless mm-hmm. he just lights it up in high A and they just want to challenge him. But, man, that kind of stuff right there, I want to see how that plays up at double A. You know, a, yeah. lot, a lot of a lot of uh, big leaguers make that jump straight from double A to the pros. And I'm not saying that Heimd's going to do that, but he'll face competition that's going to do that. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see that kind of stuff. I want to see those... 38 strikeouts to only five walks in that limited amount of time that's amazing
2: right and I think that just shows the aggressiveness the Astros have you know he's he's 19 years old he's pitched 18 innings in low a and the Astros are you know saying he's ready for promotion so love to see the aggressiveness like I said he's not necessarily a guy who's going to blow you away with this stuff he's got the low 90s fastball good curveball but you know he's deceptive and uh, he knows how to pitch and and we've seen that so far and the Astros are being aggressive with him, promoting him up but Another, we'll talk about a bat who's on a stock up report and Norel Gonzalez. We mentioned him earlier, but big bat from Cuba he's showing off at Corpus Christi right now. And, you know, you watch him hit. I mean, he looks like a, a big league hitter. He's, he's got great size, showing off the power, doesn't strike out a ton for a guy with, you know, that kind of size and power, which that's typically what you would see. But just another another good signing by the Astros. Um, and a guy that you know probably will be in AAA at some point this year, and if he does well in AAA, depending on how the roster breaks out next year, he's a guy that I definitely think could you know, be potentially pushing for a major league spot if there's an opening for him.
0: Absolutely. And like you said, uh, he's showing off in Corpus right now. He should be in AAA uh, pretty soon as well. But look, another guy from Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've got that pipeline down there in Cuba, which is amazing, man. We've planted those roots there. We're almost i would say that we're either almost as popular or more popular than the Yankees are down there. I mean, yeah. it just—it is yeah. what it is, and that—that's amazing, dude. And and Luno and his front office really started that, and uh, they—they've done a they you know the Astros just have just done a great job, um, uh, you know, putting that pipeline down there
2: for sure. So on our next segment, Brian and I are going to look at how the Astros played over the last couple of weeks, and we'll get to that in just a bit. And welcome back in here at the Astros Future Podcast, presented by Apollo Media. This segment, we're going to look at how the Astros have been performing recently. So they're sitting at thirty-six and twenty-eight right now, two games back of Oakland. But overall, it feels like they've been they've been playing a lot better. They went four and two this last week. Uh, they lost yesterday in, in Minnesota, where it looked like Luis Garcia just kind of ran out of gas, and, and Jose Barrios just really shut the Astros bats down, which is understandable. He's a really good pitcher. The game they lost in, in Boston was. A, a performance by Grinky that, you know, one that you probably really wouldn't expect and the bullpen obviously didn't help that. The Astros put up eight runs, but ultimately lost. But overall, it feels like the, the team is starting to play a lot, a lot better baseball. They just haven't ran off that, you know, insane 10-12 win, win streak that, uh, that you know, we wanted to see yet.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And I think that that's coming. I really do. Um, you know, we're, we're about to enter in a, a pretty easy part of our schedule after getting out probably the most uh, difficult part of our schedule. But, you know, man, it's it's the same old thing. Uh, if your name's not Ryan Presley and now Christian Javier and you come out of the bullpen, odds are you're putting a couple men on base and some of them are scoring. That other night, man, that debacle in Boston, I mean, we, we should have swept the Red Sox. But an Ole Paredes comes in, hits two batters with the bases loaded, walks another one in it's like he's allergic to finding the strike zone and you know i don't want to trash talk the guy i mean i hope he turns it around but um i just want to you know our our buddy on twitter astros bill he had mentioned recently that you know and may need to go a little bit lower than triple a he may need to go down to double a or something to see if um if you know he can rediscover how to throw strikes consistently because the other night in boston i get it that you're in fenway you're against the red sox I know that's that's, you know, the, that's that whole mystique right there. The bases mm-hmm. are loaded. But my gosh, man, throw a strike. I mean, three guys score because he either hit them or walked them with the bases loaded. That's just that's something that that has to be corrected. And yeah. I know he's injured. Maybe he was pitching injured. If that's the case, you know, I mean, that's actually a good sign, unfortunately. I, I hope he's not hurt. But you right. know, if he is, it's actually a good sign that he's not healthy and still doing that.
2: Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, he's walked 17 and hit two batters in just eight and two-thirds innings. And he's never been a guy that was, you know, big control or anything like that. But, you know, he in the minors, he had some some walk rates that were a little high, but nothing like this. And even last year, he walked 11 in like a little over 20 innings. And this year, he's already up to 17. So I don't know if it's injury or if it's something with his mechanics. But obviously, he's struggling to throw strikes. And that's something that the the Astros definitely have to get under control. Because like you mentioned, right now, there's only – essentially two relievers you can rely on, and that's Ryan Presley and then Christian Javier, who just had to get moved out of the, the rotation. And even guys like Stanek have been struggling a little bit. So, yeah, we definitely need to get the bullpen figured out because you look at the Astros and you sit there and you say, man, they're got they leading all the baseball in hitting. They're second in all-base percentage. They're second in slugging. And then they have, they have the least amount of strikeouts, and they have really good starting pitching. So why the heck are they only eight games? Eight games over five hundred, and I think the obvious answer has just been the bullpen. And I know we lose games when the offense struggles sometimes, but it just it feels like you look back at a lot of the losses and you sit there and say the bullpen is one of the main reasons they lost. And and unfortunately, that's something that the Astros are gonna have to get figured out.
0: Well, uh, that's something that you and i have talked about off, um, you know, like um, you know, through texting and through phone calls is that how, how many um, how many games has the bullpen blown? Not just like one run game but mm-hmm. games where we had like a two, three, four run lead, that they just came right in and gave it right back up. I mean, the Boston game the other day, I know we initially were losing, but then we went up by three and then sure yep. enough, we ended up losing by what four. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know Granky, he didn't pitch very well to begin with, but still at some point we have to, we have to see the bullpen do their job. I know that once we get to the playoffs, we're going to be able to move some of those starters into the bullpen, but we got to get to the playoffs first, man. And, and I want to win the division. Right now, Oakland, they keep winning because they're playing the cakest schedule ever right now. Right. But we have got to get to a point where we can count on somebody other than Ryan Presley and other than Christian Javier uh, to, to get guys out. And, you know, I know we all want to see Luis Garcia continue to start because he's had a phenomenal year so far. Probably going to get rookie of the year votes. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still eligible for rookie <laughs> yep. of the year. Um, and but, but But, you know, man, that kind of stuff, it may play up a little bit better in the bullpen for right now. And we saw yesterday, he ran out of gas. His arms, he, you know, his arm may not be used to pitching this much. Right. So, I mean, that's a good problem to have, though. Um, but we've got to get some guys in the bullpen that know how to throw strikes, know how to get hitters out, and aren't always giving up the lead. I mean, it, it's gotten to be so ridiculous with, with uh, how often these guys are giving up the lead whenever they come into a game. The Brooks Raley's of the world, Brandon Belak, um, he's probably the worst offender that we have right now.
2: Yeah. And then like you mentioned, you know, Garcia and, and Javier, like, I want to see those guys, those guys continue to start, you know, I mean, Garcia looks like, a, you know, really both of them, but they both look like guys that are going to be you know, in our starting rotation for years to come. But ultimately we got to win baseball games. And if there's five starters and those are the two uh, guys outside looking in that maybe their stuff best or plays up best in the bullpen, then let's put them in there and let's win some games. Cause like you said, we got to have some guys to rely on. And unfortunately you know, Dusty Baker. We'll see, we we could sit here and question his decision sometimes when it comes to lineup construction, and maybe whoever he brings in. But at this point, it doesn't seem like if he doesn't bring if he brings in anyone but Ryan Presley, you know, they struggle. And what's he supposed to do? You know, and it, it, we right. need he needs to have better options too. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully getting Garcia in there and, and Javier continuing to pitch in the bullpen will will help out a little bit. And then we just need some guys to to start figuring it out. But on the positive side, fortunately, the Astros have a really good offense. We've seen that over and over. But I was looking at the numbers, and OPS plus is, is a good stat to look at. 100 is league average, so anything above is going to be above average. And you got Maldonado is at who at who's at 46. You got Straw who was a lot lower. He's up to 76 now. But then you got Guriel at 160, Altuve at 132, Correa at 137, Bregman at 127, Brantley at 134, Tucker at 122, and Alvarez at 135. And like. I mean, that's insane to have seven guys that are above 120, six of them being above 130, because a 130 OPS plus is a really good season. That's a season where a guy's probably gonna be an all-star, gonna get some MVP boats, and the Astros have six of them in their starting lineup.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean the offense is elite. There's really no way around it. It's just the offense is elite. We go seven deep uh in that offense on most nights, man. Um, that's why. What was it like a month ago, whenever we had that brief little segment on, you know, should the offense be doing more to help out the bullpen? No, we had the best offense in right. baseball. What more do? You, what do you want it to be? The 1927 Yankees, where you got Murderers Row up there, and no matter how many runs you give up, we're gonna score more. That's just impossible to do, man. Yeah. The bullpen's gotta learn how to do its job, but the offense is just amazing. Um, even what we would consider weak links, and using air quotes there, are even starting to turn around. I know you're about to uh, talk about that. But um, yeah, we have an amazing offense right now, man. And I, you know, it, it, and what is likely going to be Correa's last year here. It would be nice to get one more title while we have this amazing offense.
2: Yep. So you, you talked about it about we've been facing a tough schedule, you know, and we we had the Dodgers, the Padres, uh, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, um, and now the, the Twins, who were a solid team. They got some solid pitching, but. Over the last couple of weeks, you know, they split with the Dodgers. They lost a series against the Padres, a series that I think, you know, we both feel like the Astros should have won, potentially swept. one three or four against the Red Sox, one two or three against the Blue Jays, one two or three against the Red Sox. And I think the Astros have shown over the last probably two or three weeks that they're definitely one of the best teams in, in baseball. And if you watch the Red Sox and the Astros series, all seven games, of the, those two series, there's no one that can sit there and say that the Astros aren't the better team. You know, I mean, they were 100% the better team than the Red Sox. And the Astros are just – Really now it's just about putting it together and being consistent for a long period of time and, and reeling off that 10-12 win streak to kind of put some distance, you know, in, in the division. But overall, the Astros played well. And, I mean, like you said, they 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 took on some of the best teams in the NL, some of the best teams in the AL, and, and, and they performed well. Um, unfortunately, you look at a couple of losses, though, and and there's one thing you can pin them on, and that was the bullpen. And we saw that against, against San Diego, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, we should have swept San Diego. We absolutely had that second game one or that that third game whatever it was, uh, one when you know Fernando Tatis hit that monstrous home run. Right. If Taylor Jones had just caught that ball, but at the same yeah. time, if we didn't have to bring Ryan Presley in and we could have just had any other reliever that was in there before him do their job yeah. uh, and do it and do it well. But yeah, man, I mean, like we've been performing really well against them. You know, I mean, we've been winning a lot of series. Uh, we just haven't been sweeping many teams. That's the one thing that's missing. You know, we're two games, as we talk about this right now, we're two games behind Oakland. Um, I mean, Oakland's been sweeping teams, but they've been playing the Baltimores and Kansas Cities of the world. So, I mean, at some point, we're going to get those guys also. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to see, hopefully, over the next couple of weeks or even a month, uh, we see the Astros going like a 10 and 2 uh, run right there just to get 10 games over uh, and just leave the division uh, behind us, man.
2: Yeah. And I think that hopefully that stretch is coming. I'm looking at the schedule right now. They got two against the Rangers four against the White Sox, three against the Orioles, four against the Tigers, three more against the Orioles. So I think that's like 16 games. They can find a way to to maybe go 12-4 and in those games. And we're finally starting to to get a little bit easier of a schedule. Like you mentioned, the A's, it feels like they've been playing just, you know, last place, you know, uh, teams constantly. Hopefully that's coming for the Astros. They'll start reeling off some wins. But I think part of that is going to be the offense continuing to perform. And the reason that the offense has continued to do well is, you look at Alvarez and you look at Bregman, and they're not they're not hitting like you would normally expect. You know, Bregman's only got the seven homers. Alvarez, I think, has like seven or eight homers as well, which is kind of low for them. Those guys are going to eventually turn it around. And when they do, the Astros offense is really going to take off. And it, it's going to be scary for the rest of baseball, considering they have one of the best offenses right now with those two guys not performing to their abilities when they start doing that, you know, the Astros are going to go from having the best offense in 2021 to maybe having one of the more historic offenses that, you know, rivals that 2019
0: team. Yeah, man. And if you think about that, that 2019 team, um, I mean, any given night we could have gone up there and and thrown up seven to 10 runs. It was amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like I said a second ago, we're likely going to lose Correa which sucks, but this is the last year for all of these guys to really be together. I know we lost George over the offseason um and, and you know, it, we've done great without him, but uh but it would be nice just to see us have that one last title run with this offense as is. Um and man this offense shows no signs of slowing down anytime soon. And we haven't even seen the best of Bregman yet. Yep. Um, by now, he normally has like 10 to 15 home runs. So he's going to go on a power surge pretty soon.
2: Yeah, he is. And, and talking about that, some of the guys – we've seen Miles Straw recently. His last 20 starts, he's hitting 315, 740 OPS. Um, and, you know, that, I, mean, I don't expect Miles Straw to hit 315 for a full season. But if the guy can hit close to that um, and, and have a good on-base percentage and play – good defense in center field, which he has recently, you know, one of our buddies, Tim on Twitter said that he was on pace for a two win season. I will gladly take a two win season for miles in center field. And especially with the other, you know, cause you, you're maybe not getting the offense that you would expect at center field, but they're making up for it at all the other positions, except for catcher. So, I mean, the Astros offense is just, it, it's, it's phenomenal. And, you know, you got straw in there and he's starting to hit the ball a lot better. So really good to see that from him. But then a guy that, we felt like we talked about our first few podcasts uh, every week talking about how eventually they're going to get it going that's Kyle Tucker and he's up to 261 now but he's on pace for 39 doubles 31 homers but his last 30 games he's really started to show why you know he was the prospect that the Astros did not want to trade and he's hitting 342 7 homers 25 RBIs and only striking out 13% of the time which is a really low rate for uh, you know a, a good hitter like that tend- you tend to see you know a little bit higher of the strikeout rate so He's really starting to show, you know, why the Astros wanted to hold on to him and why he is a cornerstone player for years to
0: come. Yeah, Kyle Tucker. You know, I think that the most obvious, uh, or not obvious, but the most memorable um, <clears throat> trade that didn't happen, and it probably was never even close, is the one that w- that was leaked out. Where uh, Miami was asking us for Forrest Whitley, Kyle Tucker, and a couple of other players in return for Christian Yelich, and mm-hmm. you know I know it's Christian Yelich, and he's gone on to win an MVP, and he signed a massive um, extension with Milwaukee. Um, and you know you'll still see you'll still see some people talk about that, but Kyle Tucker is I mean it's tough to compare the two, but I'm glad we didn't do that deal because now we have Kyle Tucker under contract for what another four or five years, basically making the league minimum um, until he hits uh, arbitration. Right. At which point we could probably end up looking into signing into a, a long-term deal. But man, Kyle Tucker, he has one of the most powerful, effortless swings I've ever seen. I mean, I know it's a swing, it's fast, all that, because it's baseball. But the torque that he has on that, man, my God. It's like a, for how far that ball goes for that kind of swing. You don't expect it. I don't even know if I'm making sense right now. I know it's making sense in my head, but I don't know if it's coming <laughs> out verbally or not. But man, I just it, it's amazing. And you know, with Miles Straw, you and I talked about this from day one. He was never going to be George Springer. We knew he wasn't going to be George Springer. We just wanted him to, you know, have some success at the plate, you know, play good in the, uh, in, in the outfield and, you know, be good on the base paths. He hasn't d- done as well with his speed, and that was supposed to be his calling card, but that can be worked on. You know, yeah. I mean, speed is something you can't teach, and he already has right. it. That's one thing Jim Callis told us whenever we talked to, uh, to him a couple weeks back is that, uh, you know, if Miles Straw gets on first base, odds are by the end of that inning he's going to be on second base. So, but we haven't actually seen that from Miles Straw because he keeps getting thrown out for whatever reason, but he's been playing so good recently, man. And, uh, you know, we knew you and I knew that like there weren't really a lot of better options internally for him uh, other than him. I mean, Chas McCormick has played well in spot starts. You know, he misplayed a couple of balls last night that led to some runs, but, you know, Miles Straw did that as well. Mm -hmm. But it's good to see Miles Straw turn it around, and and hopefully he continues to play at this clip because, man, like you said, a two-win season from him, absolutely. I'd take that any day of the week.
1: For sure.
2: And you mentioned Kyle Tucker, you know, and you mentioned the the Christian Yellows trade. And that's a trade that probably plenty of people would have gladly said, yeah, I would have made that. You would have got an MVP player. But, you know, you look at it, he just signed uh, not too long ago a nine-year $215 $215 million deal. Like the Astros weren't going to be able to do that. You know, they're, they're probably not gonna be able to afford Correa. They, they had to let Springer go and they weren't going to be able to sign Yelich. Well, the key to keeping a window open is holding on to those top prospects because now you got a guy like Kyle Tucker, who's 24 years old and who's coming into his own and you know, he's, he's, he's on pace for like almost a six war season. And, and that's with a, a bad start. He's not a free agent until 2026. So You know, if the Astros do want to extend him at some point, they can later on. But, you know, we would have got a couple of years of Yelich and then he would have been gone. And then now we and we would have been in 2021 without having a 24 year old right fielder who's having a good season. So, yeah, he's a guy that I think is a cornerstone player for the Astros, a guy who's going to be in the Astros uh, lineup for a long time to come. And we've talked about a little bit the Astros might end up getting creative and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to sign, you know, a Kyle Tucker or Jordan Alvarez to some kind of, you know, team, team friendly extension um, here in the new, near future.
0: Right. And like you just said, he's under contract in 2026. That's what five more seasons. Or five, yeah. Five more seasons. You could see some, one of those deals where we give him like a seven or an eight year deal. That's not right. even, or it, it may approach a hundred million if that, but it buys out all of those league minimum and arbitration years that they're yeah. going to have to go through. So, you know, that's a good thing for the uh, for the team as well as the player. And, man, especially with Jordan and with Tucker, man, that's just – it's amazing to have players like that that continue to come through the system. I mean, we all love George. But when he left, I mean, look at our offense. It hasn't lost a step without him, right. man. I hate to say that because he was my favorite. I mean, yeah. I love George Springer. But, um, you know, it, it's great to see that our, our system is continuing to, to turn out these guys in, in that, that are just – Coming up and just mashing the ball, man.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the key. You know, that's the key to extending the window. Uh, is you know the goal is to make the playoffs as many times as possible. And then once you get in the playoffs, you know, hopefully we've seen it's it's kind of a crapshoot. A team gets hot and they end up they end up taking off and winning a World Series. So you don't want to put all your marbles into one basket and to, to try to push for one World Series. You want to try to make you know yourself a playoff contender, World Series contender for maybe a ten-year window. And really, the Astros have done that. I mean, they've they've been a – this is – if you really include 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, that's five years in a row that the Astros have been a World Series contender, and they probably are again this year. And that's, I think, the goal of of any good GM is to try to extend that window as long as possible. And in doing that, it's bringing prospects up and not trading, you know, for for a one-season type of thing, not trading any valuable prospects just to try to win a World Series this year. You know, you're trying to extend that window, and, and the Astros have done a great job of doing that.
0: Absolutely, man. Just keeping that window open. Uh, I'm sure Click is going to be of that same mindset because we Mm -hmm. saw that with Luno. Uh, I mean, yeah, we we traded for Justin Verlander, and he was entering in I think like a year or two left on his contract, but that's not a one or mid-season rental like you were saying, man. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, like I've always loved the philosophy that Luno had. Uh, I really like James Click a lot. I think he's Mm -hmm. done a lot of good. You'll see a lot of people complain. I was complaining about the bullpen. But, I mean, gosh, I mean, it's going to have to work itself out, and I think he's doing a great job. I have all the confidence in the world in him to continue keeping that window open for us for the foreseeable future.
2: Yep, me too. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast (coughs) on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast.
0: And be sure to follow at Apollo H O U for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else.
2: As always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Astros Future Podcast covering your Astros in the minor league system.